Hello and welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast in the face, covering Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. WildcatRadioAZ.com is our website. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, you name it, and we are there. And you can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at WildcatRadioAZ and follow us on Facebook at WildcatRadioAZ. And joined with me, as always, is the grandmaster and commander of the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model, Mr. Rob Bowron, Rob, we have a ton to talk about, and some of it's going to be depressing. I'm not going to lie, but how are you? <laughs> well, I'm good. I mean, lots of travel for the weekend, uh, or for the week, I should say. I was in Tucson for a bit. I was not in town for the game, unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, depending on how you feel. Um, but yeah, lots to talk about. Lots, lots and lots to talk about. With with the Arizona game, let's just dive into this right now, because I think it was a tale of two halves. And I'm curious, we have not talked really before we recorded this podcast. So I'm really curious to get your thoughts on what happened in the game. Let's start with the first half in general impressions. And I'll, I'll start and then I want to kind of get your thoughts on what you saw, because we're going to see different things in this game. I was really impressed with the way that the play calling happened in the first half. I thought that we were calling real strong plays. We were aggressive. Tate was making pretty good decisions given Khalil Tate's decision-making process. Like I thought, like I, I literally wrote down, wow, this is, this is really impressive the way that Tate is playing. I liked how we were getting the the ball to Sean Poindexter, who I want you on this podcast to, <laughs> to talk about because we had a little back and forth on this last week. Um, I thought that JJ Taylor looked good. I was surprised that ASU wasn't running the or I'm sorry, wasn't passing the ball more. They were running a ton with Eno Benjamin, and that was kind of a problem because like we had talked about last week, our run defense is pretty good and our secondary is the weakness. And so I kind of assumed that they would score a few more points, but um, ASU over the course of the second half. But I was really, really impressed and excited, enthusiastic. I was kind of just talking to my parents and I was I'm over at my my family's house just saying, hey, this will be fun, like a six and six bowl. You know, maybe it's the Cheez-It bowl or the the farm fresh egg bowl or something, some ridiculous bowl. But I'm in on that. And then the wheels fell off. But what what were your impressions of that first half? and how did you think the play calling went on that front i thought the the play calling was pretty strong in the first half overall arizona put together some long drives which is something that they have not been great at so far this season um and we talked about going into this today asu did not have a super strong defense so uh it was good for arizona to come in and be able to for the most part really run the ball um and they did run the ball pretty well in that first half and and tape played within himself and within the system. Yes. Um, he did not uh, revert to big shot Tate uh, and just <laughs> air the ball out right and left. Um, but a lot of those were shorter throws. I mean, this Arizona, this Arizona offense does not, uh, does not have much of an intermediate passing game. Um, and he, he, he played within that. And I thought that was really good. And he, it's important in, in keeping drives going that Tate, complete passes. Um, and he actually was close to, I think it was just above 60%, uh, in the first half. And it really showed, I mean, it was the, the part that I think was unfortunate. And I think a lot of people, there are a lot of things that people point to, but I think one of the main things that people, if you really want to criticize the coaching staff, I think there are two things to criticize. I think one, uh, of course we will get to, um, going turtle. Um, but the other one I think is that the, I, I wasn't impressed with some of the red zone play calling. Um, yeah, that's true. It was, it wasn't super imaginative. Arizona had to settle for field goals a little too often. And I mean, of course, every, I mean, any, any time they could have put up one more point in this game turned out to be rather important. Um, but I, I just, you and I watch it. You and I watch a ton of Pac-12 football. Uh, we also watch a lot of other football as well, and there just does not Arizona does not seem to have some fairly some fairly simple plays in their playbook to be able to run. I mean, how often do you see Arizona successfully execute a clear out play where you have some wide receivers, you know, lined out to the outside? 
you know, they cut in, run crossing routes uh, across, and, you know, the tight end blocks for a half second and then just kind of leaks out or the back blocks for a second and then leaks out for what is usually a wide open score. I mean, Arizona hardly ever runs those kinds of plays. And it's just, it's odd, like, to not see that in Arizona's bag, uh, at least where it's run successfully anyway. I mean, I don't know, but that that was a big disappointment if we talk about the first half. But the defense played pretty well. We talked about ASU being far too committed to the run uh, for all the talent they have. Um, there are definitely times that ASU's wide receivers look a little uninterested in what they're doing. And ASU, and we, we both watched a lot of ASU this year too. I mean, they, they throw outside a lot um, on, on what's like almost a vertical like where the receiver doesn't really run a comeback. He just sort of turns to try to catch the ball. Um, teams have sort of figured that out, including Arizona and ACU just looked off in that first half. And I mean, kudos to Arizona in a way, but also I thought it was some stubbornness on, on Likens and Herm Edwards part. Yeah. I'm with you on the red zone creativity. That's absolutely true. And I remember now that I'm, this is why that's good to talk <laughs> through this because over the course of the game, I was going like, oh, man, like another field goal. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. And it reminded me of the Oregon game where yeah. in the beginning in that first half, right, we just we had these good drives and then they would just peter out at the 8, 10, 12 yard line just going, how could we not get this freaking ball in the end zone? But at the end of the day, you know, when you're scoring a decent amount and your defense is stepping up, you know, I felt fairly confident going into the second half that, OK, this is this is going to be strong. I love the way that the, the defensive line played. I thought P.J. Johnson was a monster yet again and yeah. you had Derek Bowles playing really well on that front you had Colin Schooler and even Tony Fields had some really good hits um, I say even Tony Fields like he's still been playing fairly well I'm just more I keep thinking of him as a freshman all-american so um, I don't want to disparage the fact that he's been a pretty solid player this year but um, but I thought Tony Fields had some standout plays which I remember last year happening a little bit more and they happened in this game one of the things that's interesting Rob that stood out for me in the press conference with Kevin Sumlin was, I think it was Michael Love asked him, Hey, what was the deal with going for it on two uh, or going for two on all these, you know, whenever we would score a touchdown and he had talked about getting some advanced statistical advice or numbers that pointed to doing that. And I immediately thought about you cause I'm trying to think like, is there some magical, you know, advanced metrics code that we haven't heard about and nobody else in the, <laughs> in the entire national college football landscape has heard about, uh, what, what was that all about? Well, it's, so it is weird in that, um, like it seemed like a couple of years ago, no one talked about it or it's all they talked about was like, everyone had a, like a grid that basically told coaches, like given a certain lead, like, should you go for two or not? Um, and like, you know, when, when is it in the, I mean, mostly it's when it's in the game, but like given a certain lead and given a certain point in the game, like, should you go for two? Um, I think people are sort of, I don't know. I think people are sort of focusing. Uh, I mean, I, again, like, but I would say like on our two point conversion attempts, I was a little disappointed in the play calling <laughs> again. Um, I don't have a problem with going for two. I don't mind. I mean, it's not like it's not like super advanced statistics, what they're doing. It's, it's more of a, like it, it's more like business rules or sort of like, you know, Boolean logic. Like if in this situation, like go for two or kick a one. Um, but I don't mind. I, I really don't mind going for two. I don't think that that people are going to point to it and be like, what do you mean? They lost by one point. Like there are plenty of other opportunities where Arizona left more money on the table than, a point yeah. <laughs> in this game um, that I think turned out to be more important in the game. And I, I think people are sort of harping on this in a, in a way that I just, I don't, I don't find, I just, I don't find it very, I, I don't think it speaks well to how much people actually know about football because like, yeah, sure. Like a point we lost by a point, but I don't think give it like that's sort of like knowing knowing afterwards that you lost by a point like you can go back and point to all like it's very easy to point to these and be like that's why we lost and like there's a lot of reasons we lost primarily two turnovers but and we have more press conference things to cover 
a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, I I don't know, like staying in the first half, there was a Bryce Wolma pass that I was excited about. I'm just going, all right, like, oh, far out, man. We're we're doing pretty well. Anytime a tight end catches a pass, like I just imagine you like dancing in your living room. Hugging hugging all of my family members. Right. Like like, I just imagined actually that you have like a giant Rob Gronkowski like cut out that you hug. Uh, It's so stupid that we don't do that more. But uh, (laughs) hug Rob Gronkowski. No. um, One other thing to mention in the second half was I thought Tate ran enough. Again, I would wish he would have ran more. And, you know, like it is what it is like he I don't think he wants to run more. Whoever's talking with him about going to the NFL, probably saying don't run more. I understand all that stuff. With that said, it is something that is happening and it's frustrating. And I think it's holding back our offense because and I was talking about this with my dad as we were watching the game because ASU was playing scared against him running in the first quarter. And maybe it was in the second quarter, too. I have to go back and and rewatch the game. But I, I specifically remember and I wrote down they are playing um, worried about him running this football and they should be, but that wasn't necessarily the case in the second half, but man, it just shows you if he runs the ball and teams have to worry about him running the ball, it opens up the passing lanes and it opens up the opportunity for these tight ends to just kind of run the couple in routes and, and it opens, it, it opens space and lets him pass. And it just puts defenses on their toes. They have to worry about so much more. And you just saw that in the first half. And it's just, it's, it's what might've been with this team because uh, it's, I, I think it's plain as day when you, when you actually see something being executed in the defense, having to uh, think about multiple fronts when they're playing defense. But I don't know. I, I just was really, really frustrated that that hasn't been the case all year. I know he was injured. I understand that, but there were certain games that we should have won where if we were operating even a little bit more of the rich Rodriguez offense, I'm not saying we should revert back to the, uh, the zone read stuff, but like if, if we, if we at least have more of a threat there, we could have put up more points and won some more of these games. Does that make sense? No, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think one of the things that sort of, even if you look at when, and I mean, Brandon Dawkins came in versus a new Solomon, the way Richard had recruited at wide receiver, like having an actual honest to God run threat, opened things up and Khalil Tate, who was a little better passer than Dawkins and a, a better runner, even than Dawkins, um, was able to take advantage of that even more. Like teams had to switch into a zone. Um, they had to leave the end in so that the end wouldn't crash, which opened up the running game a bit more. Um, so it was, it's a big thing um, for, for Arizona's offense to have that threat. And really, if you look at Arizona's team, I mean, Tate's really the only explosive player on the field for Arizona. I mean, I really, really like JJ Taylor. He is a heck of a workhorse back. JJ Taylor is going to get caught from behind. If he, the, the, the ball is more than 40 yards out to Khalil Tate is the only player on Arizona who is likely not to get caught from behind. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's true. And that includes Shun Brown, like and Shun Brown's fast. Yeah. Um, but there but none, are, none yeah. of them are like breakaway fast other than Tate. Um, and it's, it, uh, it really opens things up because most of Arizona's pass catchers are not getting open in man coverage in, in particular if you have say the safety sitting in you know in, in a zone or in center field like the, the Arizona really needs you know to ha- to have uh the defense switch to a zone um and then take it by enough time with his legs usually to find somebody so let's shift to the second half <laughs> third third quarter pretty good it was and it was such a blur, right? I mean, because like you're watching it, and uh, you know, when you're up by twenty, you st- I tend to not pay attention as much. Like, oh, like cool. I guess they got the ball back. Whatever, we're fine. But uh, that fourth quarter, I, I saw that you had connected with a couple of our listeners about just the play calling and what led to this just epic collapse in the second half. What do you think the biggest? <laughs> And they are legion. They are many. But what, what were some of the biggest um, contributors to Arizona dropping and falling flat on our face as this game came to a close? So just to be clear, I think that the biggest the biggest reason Arizona lost is they gave ASU the ball at the Arizona 22, two drives in a row. <laughs> and that was not on the play calling. Um, that is Khalil Tate throwing a really bad pass and it's not a pass that he was forced to throw by the play calling. Um, it's a 
ball he threw. He threw a couple of these in this game where he is running and doesn't set his feet and just hucks it down the field. Um, in this case, it went right to an ASU player. Um, but this is that, that's not like an unusual Khalil Tate pass. Like that's he, he throws those he throws a couple of those a game. Um, he doesn't now not all of them end up as interceptions, but um, not setting your feet and throwing deep can can lead to very bad things. And Tate is he's a bit hit or miss on deep balls. Um, and in this case, it was a big miss, <laughs> as we saw in the fourth quarter. But we'll get to that. Yes, I mean, <laughs> um, and then the fumble. I mean, like the if. And I, you know, I I know how I know how valuable field position is. I can tell you exactly how valuable field position is. So if you like, it is not outside of the realm of possibility. Like when you look at Arizona's punting on the season from where they were, um, you know, you could just you could put ASU on either of those drives and say like, all right, instead of being at the twenty-two, if they have to start at the ASU thirty-five, like Arizona, there is a for those two drives, there is a 3.7 point gain for Arizona by having Arizona State not start at Arizona's 22 for those two drives and having them start in Arizona State territory. Like, it's just it's like this. Don't get me wrong. Like, going turtle, going the full David Shaw is never a good idea. That drive then ended in a punt after three straight, you know, runs right up the gut um, that ASU stuffed. I disagree with that strategy. I don't think it, I think it often leads to trouble. However, Arizona, if they would have not turned the ball over, if they would have actually pursued the full David Shaw strategy, they probably win the game. And I'm not saying that they don't make it ugly down the stretch and that ASU doesn't make you sweat, but um, they would have made it a lot harder and put their defense in a far, far better position if they had just run the ball, not turned the ball over and punted twice. Um, and fans would have griped about the play calling then because it would not have been exciting and they would, <laughs> and it would have made, it would have made the game far closer than it needed to be. Um, and I think that's true, but like there are people, and there are a lot of folks that are arguing that the play calling then led to the, the, you know, that conservative play calling on that one drive then led to the turnovers. And I just, I don't buy it like that. That JJ Taylor, Khalil Tate fumble is just incredibly bad luck. I mean, Come on. And then that interception is a hundred percent on tape. Like <laughs> that is not knowing where you are. That is not knowing the situation. I mean, that was a bad interception. I'm with you on all of that. Yes. I understand the turnovers are really bad, but one of the biggest frustrations with David Shaw in this conference is with the lead. He is the most frustrating coach in the world because he'll do exactly what Arizona did, which is up the gut, 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 punt, punt. You're going like, what on earth are you doing? And that's what happened with Arizona. It is frustrating. I mean, like, I think you have to d contribute some of the problems with what happened based on the play calling, right? I mean, I would, I would say one drive is on the play calling, but the next, I mean, that interception, I mean, if Arizona would have punted the ball, Arizona wins. If Arizona punts instead of Khalil Tate throwing that interception, Arizona likely wins the game. If Arizona punts instead of that J.J. Taylor fumble, Arizona likely wins the game. Like, it's just, I, I don't understand. Like, I just, I think people are, they are conflating the two. They're, these things are not related. Like, the, the, the three runs up the gut did not make Khalil Tate throw that asinine interception. Like, they just didn't. <laughs> like there's no mechanism by which that works. And they certainly didn't make JJ Taylor fumble the football, um, on a very routine handoff, you know, like those, I mean, you could say that like Khalil Tate felt the pressure and then he went all Khalil Tate, but like that's on Khalil Tate, like Khalil Tate needs to settle down. I think the let's stick with Tate for a moment and then we'll get to the defense in the second half. One of the things that we were, worried about in terms of Arizona losing this game was Khalil Tate going cowboy on the team, which is what happened in the last probably what five minutes of the game where he's just chucking oh, yeah. bombs over and over again. I will 
first uh, preempt what I'm saying by one of those should have been caught by Stanley Barry Hill for a touchdown. I 100% agree. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, I would also say that like, as we've been talking on the podcast about our wide receivers, not being very good uh, exhibit number 15, please. <laughs> right there. there were a right. number of passes that I thought that our wide receivers should have caught. And they certainly didn't do Khalil Tate any favors with that said, those passes for Tate are low percentage passes. And if we didn't want to put this game in the hands of a college kicker at the 45 yard spot in terms of a 45 yard kick to win the game, what we needed to do is advance the ball down the field. And we did not do, I wouldn't say we, I would say that Tate didn't do that. I once again, don't believe for a minute that Noel Mazzoni was telling Tate to keep bombing it down the field. It seems like he does that when he feels like he needs to take over the game. We've seen this at the beginning of the year. We've seen this last year and it happened again. And I did think that it hurt the team. I understand that one of those should have been caught. Yes. But those passes are significantly more difficult to catch when you're running on the field, especially when you don't have good wide receivers outside of Poindexter and Brown and Brown, I don't think is a deep threat. I know that people at the beginning of the year study was i didn't buy that for a second and it looks like that's the case and maybe uh you know maybe the coaching staff puts him in a position to, to catch passes down the field but and i won't believe it until i see it and i'm not going to see it because we're not playing any more games this year and i think he's done yeah i i does look we don't want to blame specific players but this is football right like you that's what happened on the field was you had our quarterback going rogue again and trying to win the game and it didn't work out and at some point you have to you have to bring that up and is it ridiculous to bring that up rob like are there other i mean i guess one argument one counter argument could be like all right if our wide receivers can't catch then what's the difference between them catching a bomb and catching a slant pass or something i just think it's easier right you're in stride like they're easier passes to make usually that you're not draped by a wide receiver when you're making those and those weren't the targets that he was shooting for no, it's so the, an over the top. I mean, so the Tate, the path, the deep throw that Tate throws nine times out of 10 is, is an over the top pass. So he is throwing. He, if, if you if you try to throw this on a straight line, you would hit the defender in the back of the head. Right. Like he is throwing over the defender to a wide receiver. Right. <laughs> um, and sometimes he gets lucky um, because Tate has not, uh, despite his reputation, has not been super accurate on these this year. He gets lucky and you get underthrown ball pass interference, which I hate, but is a part of football. Um, and so, you know, it's the wide receiver tries to come back to get the ball. He gets a pass interference. But like he if you even if you haven't overthrown it, which also happens a, a good amount of the time, the wide receiver now has to look back over his shoulder and Arizona's receivers. We've already talked about this. None of them have like breakaway speed. They usually have a defender sitting right on their back. So you have a defender sitting over your back who now sees you looking back for the ball and is trying to actively keep you from catching it. Um, and you have to come down with this ball over your shoulder. Like, you know, it's like Willie, like constantly like Khalil Tate is like, what if everybody just caught passes like Willie Mays? And it's just not, it's not effective. Like Arizona would be far better if, and you can argue, and I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong, that some of this is not on Tate because Tate is not finding guys open earlier in his progressions. Um, and I think that's probably somewhat true, but I just don't think you end up at this many deep bombs by accident. Like, I, I mean, this is who Tate is. I mean, he's sort of like, he's a really fast Dax Garmin. I mean, the guy that was at Arizona for like a hot minute and then went to Oklahoma state and because of injury started for like three games and did nothing but throw bombs. <laughs> like, he was without conscience. Like Dax Garman, I think averaged like 25 yards, a, a completion or something like that. But he had like a 45% completion rate. Um, Tate in this game, he, he's barely above 50% on his completion rate. Like that's terrible. Um, and in the second half, he was way below 50%. Um, he, I don't know. I mean, it's frustrating. Like, it, I can't, you and I have talked about this all season. This is one of the most frustrating parts about Tate's game. It's one of the parts that I just, I consistently do not understand how we have not corrected this. Um, I just don't. And I, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, like we've talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. Like 
I would have benched him at parts of the season. Like, and I, I think you would have too. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's a reason why Michael Lev asked him Khalil Tate at the end of the game during their press conference, whether or not he was staying at Arizona and you and I earlier in the podcast earlier on in the year had said that that was probably bonkers. The fact that he would leave Arizona, but he said next question and just moved on. That is a bit worrisome. And when you add on a couple things, the first is Kevin Sumlin, not really pushing him as a player at the, opening part of the season the fact that he wasn't running when uh he was healthy at the beginning of the season the decisions that he's made to throw the ball down the field over and over again which we just covered i don't know it look things could be fine and maybe that was part of the offense but when you have three or four pieces of uh (laughs) evidence that maybe things aren't as smooth as they should be it kind of makes you wonder whether or not there's some friction there on decision-making by the quarterback, um, but it seems like he's the best option that they have, and they ended up sticking with him. And when he's on, he's on. And, and I think if you're Kevin Sumlin and this is your first year, I think you kind of just deal with clashes of personality when the best person clearly on the field um, when he's playing well is Khalil Tate and the best person on the field on both teams is Khalil Tate. So it'll be interesting to see if he stays. I think he can move on as a grad transfer. I have to go back and look at that. I'm kind of pulling that out of a hat right now. Do you know? I don't, I don't know if he's going to be scheduled to graduate this year. Um, It wouldn't surprise me that if he was, I mean, a lot of these guys, because they have so much football commitment over summer, um, end up doing a ton of credits over summer school too. Um, I just, I, so I mean, Tate's clearly not leaving for the NFL. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not with that, that that kind of completion percentage. Um, To to, to push back a little on that, he's throwing 56%, which isn't, which is, I mean, which isn't great, but it's not 50, (laughs) like 56, you know, that's, getting towards respectable, like when you're getting, when you're closer to 60 than 50, but I, I, I get the general, I get <laughs> like the general college offenses, modern college offense. Like you need to be closer to 65. Like he is a full, practically 10, 10 percentage points below. Um, and I, I, like, I don't want to sound like, I mean, Khalil Tate, like is just out there like shot putting the ball, but like his, his completion percentage for, uh, for a modern college offense isn't very good. Um, no, I just I, I'd be surprised. I, I guess if I, I will say this, and I think a lot of people are very angry at Noel Mazzoni right now. Um, I think some of that's justified, but I will say this: like Noel Mazzoni has a reputation for developing quarterbacks and a track record for developing quarterbacks. Yeah. And from what I have seen over this season, my impression is Khalil Tate was not listening very much. Um, to what Noel Mazzoni was saying. And if that's true, then like I, maybe I'm, maybe I'd be less surprised if he transferred. Um, I'm just, wo- I'm just wondering where, where does he transfer? Because if I'm yeah. an NFL scout, I'm telling, I mean, I think this is wrong, but I, I would say I would assume NFL scouts are saying you have to show that you can throw the ball. You have to show that you can play in, you know, a traditional offense. You have to show that you can be a pocket passer, blah, 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 blah. When really, if he runs a little bit, it opens up his ability to throw yeah. the ball, which we just said. But if he wants to transfer, where is he transferring to? Because it seems like he's better when he's in like, you know, that that RPO type offense um, where he is the running threat. But you got to have other people saying, hey, you know, you, you don't want to be in that if you want to make money in the NFL. So I, I'm just curious to see where he actually transfers to. I'd be, that's just like, I mean, one, I mean, I could say, I'll say this. If Khalil Tate transferred to like an Auburn, I could see that working really well, but Auburn probably already has some dudes that, I mean, Khalil Tate doesn't walk into a guaranteed job. Um, by any stretch of anyone's imagination. <laughs> and if he, if you started doing that uncorking, you know, deep bomb after deep bomb after deep bomb over the top, like you are going to get your butt yanked. 
um, at a bigger program. I mean, I say that like, I mean, we watched JT Daniels do it ad nauseum at USC, so maybe not, but <laughs> like, yeah, but he, he didn't have anybody behind him either. So yeah, which I mean, we clearly it's like Khalil Tate, if you barely beat out, you know, like the competition, you know, if you have, if you have some competition for that starting job and you barely beat him out, like you're going to get your butt yanked if you do that and just keep killing drive. So I don't know. I just, I don't, I, I would still be surprised. I thought, Tate, yeah, he did say next question. I also like I I don't think he answered a lot of questions at that press conference anyway. Um, I think his he was sort of overall sullen and not answering questions. Yeah, but. surprise, surprise. I mean that's that's kind of been the case all year. Which look, people are built differently, and some people aren't built for the press conference and. Uh, and that's you know, okay. Yeah, that's okay. But also, you know, people, you can change a little bit, you know, smile, nod, give the two. So, oh, you know, is a, t- it was a team effort. And unfortunately, you know, like it, it, it's, it's not rocket science to say nothing to people yeah. that are asking you questions, but, but, but he still, hasn't helped yeah. himself at all in either demeanor, leadership on the field, you know, performance as a throwing quarterback, um, this season. You yeah, know, and, or, and we're dumping on him, but like I want him to be good because he was so fun to watch when he was when he was on fire and such a privilege to see on the field. And yeah, like leadership is defined by what you do when things don't go your way. With that said, if you're if you're a player that's just cranking out wins, it is fun to be part of that train. And, you know, you, you want to see somebody succeed and find joy in playing football. And that doesn't really seem to be the case with him this year. And I hope that changes. But, um, but it's frustrating because, like, man, like as the season went on, I have to say, and a lot of people and we talked about it before this game, like. Man, give I mean everybody's mad at Noel Mazzoni and there's like I said, there's some valid reasons for that, but like give the guy some credit. Like this is a makeshift offense. Like this is Khalil Tate and some bros, basically. <laughs> like this offensive line is paper thin. Like none of these guys, I mean, maybe one or two of them get a cup of coffee in the NFL. Um, you know, like this is and they put together a pretty good rushing attack with JJ Taylor as a feature every down back. Yeah, like that's, that's true. Like, come on. Like I, I'm actually kind of impressed. And as you um, say that though, Rob, like I do think that if you're Khalil Tate, you see that offense, you see the defense that's coming back next year, you see the recruiting class. And why don't you take a look around and see where else you could go? A place that has an established offensive line, maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, somebody that you can get a fresh start in the sense of you come in, you're the guy. There's got to be one or two programs out there where they're really Jones and for a quarterback, but there's more pieces in place than at Arizona, right? There, that's certainly true. Um, you know, I think that what, what, what has to happen for Arizona, I think, to be a more dynamic offense is, is that Rich Rodriguez did not recruit wide receiver well at all. Um, and as uh, Mike Stoops guys aged out, like the passing game really regressed. And I think Kevin Sumlin has to address that. And I, I don't think that we're done. I mean, I, I don't think I still don't think we're done with Keyshawn Johnson Jr., who, from all reports, I think actually went to school at Arizona this year. Yeah, and he tweeted uh, out last week, bear down, or he tweeted something about like Arizona specifically, which is a good sign. Yeah. Like I don't think I and I don't think we're done with graduate transfers. Like I think Kevin Sumlin um is going to go out and like try to do a little better out there for, (laughs) (laughs) um, for what he has. Uh, and for, because I, I, and some of the young guys, even in that last rich rod recruiting class, like need to step up, like Arizona has to find some guys that can, even if they don't go on to the NFL, um, or to long NFL careers can be like a Jerron Kreiner type, which is like a very good college wide receiver who, has reliable hands and can, you know, run the route properly to get open. Let's uh, let's move over to the defense and Marcel Yates's tenure at Arizona. <laughs> and whether or not he, sticks around. <laughs> he seems to be actually like getting let off on this. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Wait, be- before we do, uh, we have a new sponsor and that's Sling TV, which we're really excited to talk about because I have this. So uh, I- I'm not sure if you know this Arizona fans, but College basketball has started and the season has begun. And if you have direct TV or if you're looking to cut the cord, uh, check out Sling TV. They have the Pac-12 network. You can get it on demand. You can get it on your computer. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your Xbox. Um, it's a really easy to use uh, app. It's an easy to 
use program and you get all the ESPNs and they're starting with Pac-12 Network. You can get it for $30 a month, which is a pretty good price um, for DirecTV. Or I'm sorry, for uh, college basketball and the Pac-12 Network where most of Arizona's games will likely be played. So check them out. If you go to our website, wildcatradioaz.com, up on the top, you'll see the banner ad and it's Sling TV. If you are interested in getting Sling TV, they'll give you a seven-day free trial to check it out. If you like it, cool. Stick with them. If you don't, like you can just cancel. That's one of the things that I've appreciated about it is I'll keep sling from football to basketball season and then just cancel. And rather than having to go through the phone, a conversation with a person about canceling your cable bill, they like, you don't have to talk to anybody. You're just like, Nope, don't want this anymore. And you can fire it back up. So check it out. Um, if you go through our website, it will help out the podcast. It'll help us out financially, help us cover the costs and stuff. Um, so, so definitely do that. Wildcat radio, AZ click on the banner ad. We'll get a a URL coming up here, I think this coming week, which will be excited, but glad to have them on. Thanks for, uh, to them for checking out the podcast and get your seven day free trial. So, uh, with that, Rob, let's, let's talk about Yates here. I, he seems like he got a bit of a pass here because of the turnovers, I would assume and the offensive play calling, but at the end of the day, giving up another back to back 40 plus point games to, uh, our opponent. And I think that's got to be it for him, right? Well, like, well, actually, before I, you answer that, let's talk about the defense in general. What? How did you think we performed? I still thought we played with some heart even in the second half, but it was difficult given the field position. So were the defects that glaring, or is this just kind of like a, eh, I'm kind of over it now? No, I think, uh, I think the defense actually had a reasonably good game in this game. I mean, they got... if. You do not you do not have high expectations for them if they have to defend a short field twice in a row. So it's really not on the defense those last two drives. I mean, I'll grant you would have been super nice if they had like touched you know Benjamin on his way to the end zone on that last one. But I would I'm guessing they were a little gassed and pretty frustrated with the offense um, <laughs> at that point. Um, but I just I, I think the defense. They they actually end up they they end up this season about where I projected them at the beginning of the year. Like their projection was ninety nine, they finish at ninety four. Um, that's just not that's not very good three years in a row. Um, to put it mildly, I mean, like in this game they were they were fine. They had some good moments, um, but I would say from having like watched a lot of ASU, like I actually think ASU has a really bad offensive coordinator, um, <laughs> and. Uh, even though ASU put up a decent offense this season, I actually think it's much more to do with uh, having some uh, a pretty good signal caller and some good talent around them. Um, rather, like the the play calling, and, and we talked about this in some of this game. Like they just ran right at Arizona with you know Benjamin, um, and Arizona was fully expecting that. Yeah, I was going to say, they didn't run well. <laughs> 80 no. yards. He had three touchdowns, but again, I think two of those were within when they had the ball at, you know, our own 20 yard line or something like that. So right. it's not yeah. as if he was lighting the world on fire. And I love the fact that they were running the ball. I was really surprised that I don't think uh, Nikhil Harry had a catch until the second half, which was great. <laughs> Would have taken yeah. that anytime. And uh, Frank Darby looked at, as you mentioned, disinterested. I think he dropped a couple passes when we talk about Arizona dropping him. So did ASU. I guess I'm assuming that he's going to be fired just because back to back to back bad defenses is uh, does not a defensive coordinator make. Who are some of the names that you would like to see fill that position? I'm probably putting you on the spot on this one because I frankly don't know a ton of defensive coordinators. But who are some like I would assume that, you know, that uh, someone gets the opportunity to bring on somebody that's fairly decent. He doesn't have to dig deep into the well. I think he's going to get that check to bring in another coordinator. We need this football team to be decent and uh, and bring in butts in the seats. So who who are some teams that you would like to see maybe fill that position that, in terms of their defensive coordinator? Yeah, I think there's some – so it just – it depends on two things, I suppose. One is that do you – who gets who who is on their way out with the staff you know like who's you know like is i mean for example if usc is totally cleaning house under clay helton maybe you could get clancy pendergast if he doesn't want to go back to the pros i mean it's unlikely but maybe he 
you know, like takes a flyer on Arizona or something like that. Like it's that kind of a, you know, maybe you can get somebody bouncing out of a, you know, a, a position and, you know, they, they take a position with you in Arizona. If that's the case, Arizona likely has to come up and spend far more money than they have uh, spent in the past. Um, but there, if you're, if you go a different route um, and uh, this is probably the route I would expect Arizona to go. I mean, cause Arizona just, it's, unless you're going to go out and spend a ton of money or you're going to go out and offer play calling duties to somebody that hasn't had play calling duties before, like Joe Salavea, um, you know, then, uh, if you're, if that's the, like, you're, you're going to probably go to, you know, a group of five coordinator. Um, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see Arizona promoting from within. I don't, I'm not really all that keen on, um, you know, like Arizona oh, going out. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, like, if it, I would actually be like Chuck Seifel coached defense in the NFL for a couple of years. His defenses were pretty good some years. I'll, I would take that. I mean, it's probably an improvement play calling wise. If it, if you were good enough to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL, um, and he's clearly familiar with Arizona's personnel, but. I, I mean, here's the question. Here's the question. Does he want this. to get into the grind of recruiting, though? Yeah, that. And if he was that good of a coordinator, how come he hasn't had a job since? And oh, why, that's true. And why is he taking a look? I would love to have. Uh, I, I I hope he's awesome, and I hope that. The, there's something that I'm missing in this situation, right? Like Chuck Cecil, Chuck Cecil is a legend at Arizona. I totally understand that, right? I'm just trying to walk through why that hasn't been the case. The other thing is, I mean, there's so I, I think a good name that Arizona should take a look at is Marcus Freeman, who's uh, Cincinnati's defensive coordinator. Um, putting together a good defense in the group of five is actually quite hard um, because you don't recruit top athletes. Um, so most group of five schools that end up being pretty good are often offense first. Like UCF is a good example. Like UCF has a very good offense. Um, and they have an okay defense. Uh, another name that I think is interesting is Virginia's co-defensive coordinator, um, Kelly Popinga. Uh, I don't think he has, I, I, am not sure if he has play calling duties or not. Um, but he's a guy that went with Bronco Mendenhall from BYU out to Virginia. Um, he may, uh, he's actually from Wyoming of all places. Uh, but he might, he, like he has roots out West. He may be interested in coming back out West. Um, and he's a guy that I think that they had to keep on staff there because he was a good recruiter. Um, and so I'd be I'd be interested to see if he um, ended up on anybody's radar out west this season. Um, speaking of Wyoming, Wyoming has a very good defense under uh, uh, their coach and their defense first team. I mean, everybody sort of knows Josh, like Josh Allen getting drafted. But Scotty Hazleton, uh, Wyoming's defensive coordinator, Wyoming's put together good defenses every year he's been there. Um, and then another one, and I'm trying to remember – which one Jeff Tedford has had. Oh, at Fresno, uh, like his defense. At Fresno. Yeah. So he, he lost his defensive coordinator last year because the defense was so good. Um, uh, but their defense again this year with their new defensive coordinator and they promoted from within Burt Watts. Um, they've been very good again. Uh, and that's another, these are all names that, I mean, with maybe with the exception of Papinga, um, Arizona can probably go out and easily double or triple their salary from what they're making currently. Um, give them a shot at a group of five or I mean, at a, a power five school. Uh, the question that everyone like, I, I think that these guys all probably schematically line up pretty well um, and, and are, you know, have reputations as good play callers and good, you know, uh, good schemers. But, um, the question on some of these guys is, can they recruit? Um, because Arizona does need some bodies on defense and Yates does, Yates does have a reputation as a pretty good recruiter. Um, so that's the, it's, we are unlikely to see a change. I mean, it's crazy to say it, but it's like, it's like a month till nationals. It's a little less than a month till national signing day. Um, so even if Yates were, I mean, Arizona, so Arizona could do two things. They could, if they have somebody that they kind of know that they'd like, 
um, they could make a move now and they could fire Yates and they could bring in the new person and have him in, in time to reassure recruits, um, and keep the class to, you know, and hopefully not have any defections or anything like that off the class or what a lot of programs do. And we've talked about this. It's a little slimy, but everyone does it. You wait until after signing day and then you move on from Yates. Um, I just, I'd be, if they keep Yates on, I just, I don't, I think it sends a sign that like, they're just not, they're just not that serious. Like it's clearly not working. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, it's all this dirty, dirty taste in my mouth. Uh, talking about all this like, I don't want to be I don't want to be like USC fans right now. We're just like <laughs> what? we're running around like, what is going on? What do you mean you're keeping Clay Elton? Like, I mean, like it's it's time to move on from Marcel Yates. Like I was not I wasn't super excited about the Noah Mazzoni hire. I thought he was fine. He's he's mostly good, occasionally great. This is his worst offense he's had in a long time, but it's also talent-wise the worst offense he's had in a long time. But, man, like keeping Yates was shocking. Yeah. Um, well, so. anything else we should cover on this particular game? No, I mean, I think we'll come back and probably – I mean, it feels like it feels like in some ways we're doing a little season wrap, but I think we'll probably come back and do the full season wrap. I'll, I'll actually put together – a full uh, rundown on, and you saw last year what I did, um, but I'll run down, you know, every game, you know, which games are the best for each Arizona unit and all that. Well, that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, and also, <laughs> so stick with us. So I know that raw uh, speaking of like this upcoming signing class. So Rick and Rick, Rick DeNice and Rick Powell are going to do a signing, uh, a signing class extravaganza podcast so stick it with that yeah they're going through the tape and i'm really excited about it they like and i'm excited that they're doing it because i am not the look and i don't even pretend to follow recruiting on our end you know i'll like bring up stuff and you know i'll look them up and tweet out stuff but at the end of the day i'm not buried in the recruiting stuff and and they to a certain extent are so i'm excited about that so stay tuned also stay tuned with us we're going to go through the bowl season we're going to do a bowl pool so get excited about that um we'll do our sleazy bet segment through this and we'll continue to do podcasts that are highlighting arizona football so we are not dropping the football beat until like all is said and done in addition we are going to start shifting over to basketball after this podcast so um, make sure to stay tuned for that i think we'll have a pretty solid surprise for you guys but uh it's still in the work so if if, the, if nothing happens then don't don't worry about me saying this <laughs> but uh just so that we're, we're g- <laughs> we, will, we will tell you that the surprise isn't happening not so just like you know like in march we're getting mail from people like when's what happened to the surprise the surprise at? Uh, no, just kind of a we're th- just no, we're thinking creatively here on the basketball front because uh, it's Arizona basketball. I know the season is like meh, but you know, like th- this team has some promise to it, and certainly next year is going to be awesome. But with that said, let's get into our sleazy bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it, baby? Okay. All right. Only two. Only two games coming up. It's getting sad, Rob. Although bowl season, we'll have a lot to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah, we will. Actually, we will have a lot. We will cover every Pac-12 game, and uh, I will have breakdowns of all of their opponents and everything. I'm excited about it. Like, and and I'm definitely going to ask you some numbers questions about these uh, these bowls because there's a lot of value if you are one that dabbles in the bets of sleaze. Let's talk about uh, let's let's do the first game here. The Stanford Cal game was postponed due to the fires that were happening in California. They are going to play December 1st. This game is at Cal. Stanford is a two point favorite over Cal. And I still like Stanford. It's the, the line hasn't moved. Vegas hasn't seen any, you know, anything that indicates more than they saw a few weeks ago. I'm trying to think of what the or what are the numbers here? Uh, what does Beta Ring say? So 
Beta rank like Stanford in this game. So Stanford comes in number 26. They've been creeping up as the season has gone on um, after getting waxed by Notre Dame and Utah in consecutive weeks. Uh, the defense for Stanford right now sits at number 55 after that kind of rough outing that they had against UCLA. Uh, their offense is at number 32. Their special teams is at number six. Oh. Um, this is a very good Stanford special teams. Um, Cal comes in at number 65. They are 116 on offense, which is not great. Um, they're number 18 on defense, um, which is down a little bit from their high, uh, this, this season, they were, uh, number 10 at the beginning of the week, but, um, Colorado does not have a good offense, uh, and giving up the yards and touchdowns they did to them didn't help. They're number 60 on special teams. Um, but the model likes Stanford considerably more than two points. Um, it likes them at about 10 points in this game, uh, and I, I tend to agree with that, actually, <laughs> in this game. Cal's defense, they've gotten a little better. Beckett, I think, put some good, some decent pressure on the quarterback. But Cal doesn't put consistent pressure on the quarterback at all the times. Um, they're a very disciplined defense. Uh, I think the Stanford offense could, could cause them problems with Costello getting the ball out uh, in, in the way that they do. And I, I, I do think Stanford's defense is, is good enough to really – bottle up this cattle offense let's talk about keys to this game here uh, well and before we do that let me break down the defense a little bit more on cal so looking at beta ranks numbers where is cal in terms of rush defense and pass defense uh in terms of rush defense cal's number 32 against the run and they're number nine against the pass so oh my gosh this will be uh, strength against strength because Stanford comes in at number 111 uh, rushing the ball and number seven throwing the ball. This this Stanford team is all KJ Costello and our Sega Whiteside and Irwin all the time. Um, and they are going to be going against a very good uh, Cal secondary and discipline. Like I, I've harped on like disciplined Cal defense that can give you multiple looks. That's interesting. I didn't realize that their secondary was so good. Uh, Cal, I knew their rush defense was really solid, and I like that defensive line. It's amazing, Rob, what they've been able to do with guys that we really hadn't heard of on the recruiting trail. Like I, I know yeah. they have a couple of four-star guys. I understand that. But for the most part, this defense is just a bunch of dudes that are playing um, better than the sum of their parts, and that is that is good coaching right there. So uh, that's why I'm kind of bullish on Wilcox getting a better job as the years go by. Ah, like... See, it's it's interesting though. I wish I could see. Um, I wish I could see the the height of their uh, of Cal's corners. Um, I don't think they have. <laughs> Not tall enough. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? He just he just throws the ball up there, but but he Costello does a decent enough job. He's not JT Daniels where he's just throwing up yeah. lobs. Although sometimes they do that. I'm not saying, but it it is less so than what Daniels is doing on that front. Um, you know, Bryce Love, I kind of liked what he was doing against um, UCLA, but most people can run against UCLA. And at the end of the game, yeah. I still don't think Love got more than 100 yards. I'd have to go back and look. But he didn't. Um, man, that, that is amazing. The fact that Stanford can't move that ball on the ground. Um, I just yeah. it, this is the same thing as, as last week, though, right? Like, where do Cal's points come from <laughs> at the end of the day? Um is it going to be like 10 points defensive scoring that they're going to do? I doubt it. And uh, I don't, I mean, I don't that, that yeah. We thought that Cal line was generous against Colorado and Cal nearly pulled it off with two defensive touchdowns. But how often are you going to, ha I mean, I'm sorry, Cal's had a lot of defensive touchdowns this year. So when you say how often could that happen, it could happen. Um, but it's not something you can regularly count on. Um, you know, and I wouldn't count on it going into this game. I, I think Stanford, I, mean, I think Stanford can put up 21 points. Do you think Cal can put up 19? Nope. Yeah, me neither. So <laughs> easy, that, that's easy. All right. The, the one, but I mean, the one thing to keep in mind, these are rivalry games. So like weird stuff does happen here more so than other times. It's true. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the numbers say on that, because we always say that because we see it. But I, and I do think that that's the case. Like, it, you know, like you have teams that aren't as talented play to a higher level. So uh, but still, with that said, give me Stanford. I took Stanford two weeks ago. I'll take him again. Um, what do you think? 
Yeah, I'll take Stanford in this game. I there's there's no percentage in playing Cal uh, for this. Like you just you can't have any faith in Cal's offense. And that game is Saturday, December 1st on Pac-12 Network. The other game we have is Friday, November 30th, and this game is on Fox. Hopefully, I was really hoping, Rob, that Gus Johnson was on the Apple Cup, and he was not. I think he did uh, Texas. I forget who. No, he had Ohio State and Michigan State. I get it. I get it, Fox. Whatever. But but still. Come on. <laughs> oh, no. But Gus Johnson gave, like, Urban Meyer a giant back rub in that game. Like, he's coming back from adversary to adversity. Of, like, you mean the no. adversity he created <laughs> by being a terrible, you know, CEO? <laughs> I want to take Utah, Rob. I want to take them so bad. Um, it's Washington by four and a half, right? It's Washington, yep. Washington is a four and a half point favorite against, as you said, 35 people in Santa Clara. Um, what, <laughs> what do the numbers say about this? All of whom work for the Pac-12 network oh, or okay. are their family members. Man, Kate Scott is going to be the biggest uh, Utah fan <laughs> going into that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Washington comes in at number uh, 19. Um, they have the number 34 ranked offense, which is about right. However, they get a really big bump from having in theory held Washington state's, uh, terrific offense in check a bit last week. So they jump up to number 11. Uh, I, however, that is somewhat snow aided. Um, so I don't think their, their defense is not actually that good and they haven't played around there this season. They have been in the sort of mid to high twenties, most of the season, Washington special teams have not been good, uh, ranked at number 89. Utah comes in at number 24. Uh, their offense is ranked 40. Uh, there is, again, like they, the model catches up pretty quickly, but uh, may still be sort of chewing through what does Utah's offense look like with the injuries uh, to the quarterback and running back. Uh, the defense, however, is very good, number 24. Um and Utah's number 32 on special teams. I mean, pretty good. They've had some, uh, some coverage errors and, um, Matt Gay has not been as accurate, um, as you would have liked on, uh, his place kicking, but, um, still Utah, of course, known for having special teams. And this is a very good special teams unit, uh-huh. but this game, when you look at like, so Washington's offense, uh, fairly balanced. They come in uh, rank number 30 in effective rush. Um, so uh, Gaskin and Ahmed have, have had pretty good years, actually. And um, I think they're both dangerous. Uh, and so, and Utah uh, is something that's definitely Utah is going to have to account for. Um, they're number 42 in effective pass, which is not all that surprising. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone looks at this Washington offense and is really cowed by what they're able to do in the air. Uh, Jake Browning's had some good games, but he's, he's mostly played like better than average most of the season. Utah's defense, uh, that number 24 defense, they're number 23 against the run, uh, and number 33 against the pass. They are run stuffers, uh, and Chase Hansen's been a big part of that this season. So if you remember back to that first matchup with Utah and Washington, uh, they were uh, they were able to really plug the gaps uh, and and almost totally shut down Miles Gaskin in that second half. Hmm. I'm looking at Gaskin's numbers here since he came back. So he was out against Colorado and Cal, which is uh, probably a good thing on the Cal front for his numbers. But against Stanford, 148 yards, five yards per carry. Oregon State, don't don't even worry about Oregon State. They don't count. <laughs> Washington State, <laughs> I thought this was impressive. This was We didn't bring this up when we talked about the Apple Cup. But 170 yards, 6.3 yards carry, and three touchdowns in the snow. That, that, was, that was impressive. And I understand that, like... You you dislike Washington State's defense much more than I do. I was surprised that he was putting up those numbers against them, even if this was like a dry climate. You know, um, I for some reason just have been more um, favorful of that defense than um, uh, than the numbers bear out. So all that to say, he is good. It'll be really fun to see whether or not he can put up yardage against this Utah defense. Cause it is good. Um, yeah. and whether or not Browning, like does Browning has to throw one pick in this game at least. Right. Um, well, so this is pretty tight and beta rank, but, um, Utah's offense comes in and they are, they are much more effective at running the football. So they're number 25 and, uh, effective rush. Um, they're number 64 in effective passing. And I, I think if you are going to say like, how is Utah going to put up points like through the air? Uh, if they are, if they end up in any way behind, um, it could be tough sledding for them. Washington's defense comes in number 13 on effective rush. 
um, number 12 on effective pass. So pretty effective. The one thing about Washington and we, they were hugely aided by the snowstorm in this is they have not really gotten effective pressure on the quarterback this season in particular with rushing four. Um, and again, like if we think back to that, uh, first game at like that second half, both Utah and Washington blitzed pretty heavily in that second half and neither Browning nor Huntley dealt very well with the pressure. It will be interesting to see what both teams learned from that and how they're able to sort of deal with that. Because, um, I would be surprised if Utah is able, uh, to get, uh, pressure on, on Browning with only rushing consistent pressure on Browning with only rushing for, um, but I think Washington is may have to run the foot or maybe we have to throw the football in order to win this game for Washington. Are they going to be able to get pressure, uh, on Shelley with rushing four? and can Utah establish the run against the Washington defense? I'm not sure they can, uh, where are the points going to come from? Uh, so it's closer in beta rank than it is in the, the spread. So it's, um, Washington has a 57% win probability in this game. Um, that is roughly two, 2.4 points that Washington's favored by in the model in this game. So it's, it's not, um, it's not quite as far off as, uh, I mean, that's, that's still pretty close. I mean, you're not going to win a whole lot of games by two points, I suppose, but, um, it's basically Washington by a field goal. I'm just trying to to walk through this here because Zach Moss is out for the season, obviously. Um, yep. Armand Shane. Is it Shane or Shine? I always forget because they it's shine. They, it's shine. OK, because um, I've been watching him and I really loved what he did against Oregon. Obviously, like he tore it up against Oregon. The last two games, though, against BYU and Colorado. I understand BYU's run defense is good, but he hasn't had more than 60 yards in either of those <coughs> games. And now you're talking about him running up against a pretty nasty front seven uh, from Washington. It's not that their defense isn't as vaunted as I think people think it is, but it's still quite good. And I love Ben Burke when you talk about run stuffers like I would. Yeah, very, oh yeah. he's having a heck of a year. Very much interested in watching that matchup between him and uh, whoever, <laughs> whether or not Shane could actually run the ball. Um, I also trust I, – I really came into this podcast wanting to take Utah, and I don't think I am. I think I'm going to take Washington. I'm just trying to think of how Utah is able to move the football through the air like you mentioned. If that happens, let's say Washington for the most part can shut down Utah's running game. I don't trust Utah's wide receivers, and I, tr- I don't trust this freshman quarterback in a big moment against a pretty good secondary um, on the flip side, I know Browning makes mistakes. I know that he looked terrible in that last Utah game, um, but I do put a little bit more faith in somebody like him to win a game like this uh, at the fact that you have Miles Gaskin. So I'm going to take I'm going to take Washington and I'm not happy about it. I actually really would like to, <laughs> I would like to see Utah win this. I do. I, I, do. I like that team. I like what they've put together. Um, and I'm kind of sick of Washington being okay and still being the Pac-12 champion. I would much, I, I'd be rooting for Washington if they were good, if they were really good and they're just not this year. So I'd like to see another team bubble up and, uh, and see what they can do. But I don't know. What do you take? So if you were going to construct a case for Utah winning the game, they are probably plus one on turnovers and they have, they dominate field position in the game using special teams and which Washington's, is super possible by the way, both of those. Yeah. Scenarios. And Washington's freshman kicker misses a kick or two. Um, <laughs> also not, not even that, that will happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's quite likely to happen. So that, I mean, that kind of, it, it's not impossible to construct like how, you know, this is a very close game of the model. Um, but you're right. It's, it's close. And if it's close, I will take miles Gaskin and Jake Browning. <clears throat> Although Browning is like a constant letdown against the spread. Um, I, I'll, t- I will take the, ex- in, in the experience that they have in, it's been a long, I mean, it's been a long time since Kyle Whittingham coached in a really big game. I mean, he sort of made his name and, and maybe you could argue it helped get Utah into the Pac-12 conference um, with some of the big bowl games that he won as Utah's coach. Uh, but 
Peterson uh, has been there and done that more recently, uh, and you could argue did it more often at Boise. I I, I, th- I think there is a bit of a coaching advantage um, for you for Washington in this game. I I, I, I like Washington to win. To, oh, to- going against the model! Come on, Rob, get your head in the game. <laughs> it's so. I mean, it's it's. This is actually. The model and the spread are so close that they're like that for the purposes of how I count it, it is they're tied. They're they're so close that um, it's fifty fifty. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, it's a good line. That is a good line on this game. And, and it, you know, as much as we dumped on it, it, it will still be a good game to watch. I just would have loved to see Gardner Minshew uh, do some dirty things. It's a much better it's, story. Yeah. Like it is much better. And 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 in covering. In covering the conference, you you end up, and I sound like some sort of like old media hack here, and I resist that label, but you end up rooting for stories because that was a, that that makes it more interesting. And Washington State would have been a much better story. Yeah, well, stick around. So we will do a bowl pool, and we will have some filthy prizes to give out. I'm uncertain what they are yet. Uh, but that will come shortly. So stick around next week. We will definitely break down these games and we'll know the bowls that happen. So we'll start breaking down those games, which will be really fun. And we'll definitely do our research into the teams outside of the Pac-12 conference on the particular Pac-12 bowls. And uh, we'll probably have some more surprises as the coaching carousel spins and spins and spins. Uh, Mr. Rob Bauer, anything else we should cover? Oh, you don't want to know something crazy. So, Alabama and Georgia are number one and number two in beta rank. That that line, that Vegas line, is about spot on where beta rank has it. Like that's how good Alabama is. Like that is <laughs> wow. And they're a thirteen and a half point favorite. Is that what I saw? Uh, I saw a ten and a half. It okay. might have already. It may have already gone up. Um, but the model has them at about uh, eleven. Um, in the game, which is just crazy for a one versus two in the model. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, Alabama is just, um, and one of the things with Saban, then we'll sign off here is that you have a lot of coaches in PAC 12 or not even PAC 12, just college basketball and football that run their system and it's their system, right? This is my program, my system. I'm sticking to it. And think of all of the coaches that you can criticize for doing that. And there are many, um, with that, you know, that said Saban, at first poo pooed the quick offense stuff, you know, like just, yeah. oh, you know, this is bad for defenses, bad for players and then quickly adapted to it. And now look at the monstrosity that is this Alabama program year after year after year. Um, I just, it just shows you that keeping an open mind and, you know, maybe, maybe keeping up on what's going on, uh, can help anybody, even Nick Saban. And, and he did that. So, uh, let's hope that pac 12 coaches do the same, um, cool wrap. Well, we will talk you. We'll talk next week and uh, looking forward to seeing who gets to get whipped by. Um, this is an easy week for me. I mean, there are so many fewer games. I will put out uh, radar charts and preview. I won't. And I'll do previews of all of the conference, all of the power five conference championship games. Oh, nice. OK. OK. Looking forward to that. Um, all right, Rob. I know it's late your uh, your time. I'll catch you next week.